Well, the other day I was driving by, about a week ago, I, I drove by what was beginning to be a construction site in uh, one of our neighborhoods. You can, you can tell, you know, when you see the fencing go up, okay, something's going to be happening here. And uh, it was around an older home that really didn't look like it had been cared for, like it had kind of seen its day. Uh, a day later, I drove by, and there was nothing left. It is amazing how fast they can take a, a house down. My, a friend of mine back in Indiana, his dad in Ohio owned uh, a company, a demolition company, and he said, give me a, a, uh, you know, a, a bulldozer, and I can take anything down in a few minutes. You know, it's just crazy. And then a couple days later, I drove by, and there was a brand new hole dug, and, and they were already putting in the forms that they were going to be pouring the concrete for the basement. You know, it's no secret, uh, we've been pretty open, Charlene and I on our DVR at home, we'll sometimes, we often record and watch home improvement shows that, are, uh, that we uh, like to record and fast forward through the commercials. Um, and I reflected on that process. Can I just tell you something? You may not know this. TV isn't real, people. You know, you watch a program, and in an hour, they have taken a, a house and, and completely demoed it and redone it. But if you watch that program carefully, they start it when the, the, in the summer, and then they're shivering in the winter outside doing their shots when the snow was flying. It, it just doesn't happen. I know enough about building. I, I actually spent a whole summer between my junior and senior year in high school, working for an independent contractor in our church and, and out in Kansas. I mean, we went out in the middle of nowhere and built a, it was, it was this very, very wealthy rancher. And me and Stuart, we were the work crew. We built this house for him that was going to be his getaway house. I mean, you talk about his uh, man cave. That was a man cave like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, that was back in the day before there were air hammers and stuff. I, I'm this, I've been this tall since I was a freshman, but it took me a long time to add the weight. So I'm like a 120-year-old 120-pound kid carrying four-by-eight, three-quarter-inch sheetrock up ladders to lay down on the roof. But I learned a lot. I know that you have to draw plans. I know that you have to pull building permits. I know that you have to hire contractors. I know that the weather has to cooperate in the early goings. You ever remember a show a few years ago? I think it ended its run in about 2012. Extreme Makeover Home Edition. You remember that one? In five days, they would take a house and completely take it down and put up a brand new, amazing home. Uh, it was just crazy. And I know that it takes about eight months on a good schedule to build a house from start to finish. It's amazing what a coordinated crew of over 750 people with every construction aid available, with pre-permitting, with inspectors on site can do working 24 hours a day. And they did it. But those are houses. People are different, right? How many times have you heard someone say, that's just who I am. I can't change. Or maybe even worse, it's who I am and I'm not going to change. How many times have you heard people say that? I've heard it a lot. 
And one of the things we're going to find in the book of Romans, as we keep going through it, the Apostle Paul revisits themes. Yes, he repeats himself several times. And one of the themes that he's going to revisit that we're going to begin with here and we're going to see revisited all the way through chapter 8 is the idea that when you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, who by grace has already paid the price for our sin, then we are no longer under the power or control of sin and we can change. It's like God does an extreme spiritual makeover in our lives. Let me put it this way. When I trust Christ, I have the power to say no to sin. A different way I would say that is, because of my faith in Christ, real personal change from the inside out is not only possible, it's a reality. The fact is, each one of us who's put our faith in Christ can experience extreme spiritual makeover. And that makeover affects everything else. If you're not already there, turn in your Bibles again to Romans chapter 6. And in the first, we're, we're actually, this is part one, by the way. Part one is today. You'll have to wait two weeks, two Sundays, three Sundays to get to part two because we've got the Palm Sunday and Easter in the middle. So we're going to be taking a little break, but we'll be coming back to Romans the week after Easter, Lord willing. We've already heard the, the uh, passage read to us from the message. Let me just begin again in Romans chapter 6 from, and, and just read the first few verses. Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. First point of two points today. My, I always, my kids always used to hate it when I said there's only two points because they felt like that was a really long sermon. I'll get you out of here in good time. God's extreme spiritual makeover gives me new life. Paul is using that dialogue method of writing in Romans. And he follows the, the last point that he made that we saw last week uh, with a question. The, the point was this, 520 and 21. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then he says, what shall we say then? Shall we just go on sinning so that grace may increase? Paul says, absolutely not. 
The point that Paul is making first is there is nothing that is more powerful and more effective to affect change in our lives than God's grace. And that question that he starts with in 6.1 reflects the logical illogic of human nature. Well, man, if God wants to just have grace increase, then I ought to sin more because I'm doing God a favor, right? Don't try to back God into a corner. That's like saying, you know, our police department needs a lot of training. So to help them with their training, I'm just going to go out and break the law even more. Because the more I break the law, the more they get to train and I help them out, right? Wrong. And Paul says, by no means, may it never be. You and I cannot force the hand of God. We should never try to back God into a corner saying, well, God, you need to forgive me. You know, I love to sin and God loves to forgive. It's just a beautiful match made in heaven. No, there's a change that comes about. For about five years up until COVID, I was an online professor with Moody Bible Institute. One of the courses that I had the privilege of teaching, in fact, they they assigned that course to me every single year, sometimes twice a year. It was entitled Problem Solving and the Challenges of the Church. And, And we would start the course off by talking about how we can use the Bible and biblical principles to give us a guide for making decisions in our lives. You know, the Bible doesn't tell you exactly what job you should do. The Bible doesn't tell you exactly what house you should buy, or et cetera, et cetera. But we have decision-making principles. We have these principles of, does this please God? Is it what God wants? Things like that. So we would deal that. But then the last three-fourths of the course were case studies. Every week, the students would have a different case study. The case studies came from a book entitled Facing Messy Stuff in the Church. Case Studies for Churches and Pastors. And in one of our case studies, one of the people in the case study, uh, this is not an exact quote, but this was the sentiment that they expressed. I know God forgives. And I know that what I'm about to do is sin. So I've already asked God for, to forgive me so I can go out and do what I want. Paul says, may it never be. You see, when you and I come into a relationship with Christ, there is a fundamental change at the core of our being in the deepest level. Paul puts it this way. We are those who died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? There's a change. There's this death to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And in what the, in, in Eugene Peterson's rendition of the message, he talks about we moved out of that house. We packed up and moved away. I, I thought about that. Thought about that when I thought about our first little place that we owned. We we bought a little mobile home as seminary students in Winona Lake, Indiana. We were in Marywood Trailer Park, as they called it then, and it was it was like a, a little Christian ghetto. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, uh, 
next door to me was uh, a college student across the street, was another, you know, another seminary student down the road. I mean, in the summertime, it was amazing. It was just like Christian summer camp all time long. And so we had this little mobile home. It was 14 feet wide by 60 feet long, so it wasn't a long one. Bedroom at the front, bedroom at the back, living room, kitchen, bathroom, washer and dryer. It had what every mobile home should have, central air conditioning. Uh, we were living high. We, that had a shed in the back, and a friend of mine ran electricity to it. We bought a chest freezer, put that in the shed. It, it had a nice porch. It was great. But, you know, and, and, and you know, at the time, we just had Bethany, and, you know, then Jessica comes along and, you know, uh, got to the point where we thought, okay, we need need a little more room and so we bought a little house in Winona Lake we moved up to the east side we moved about a little house it was a little three-bedroom ranch but it had a garage it had a fireplace and eventually we put a wood insert in it we heated with wood it had three bedrooms two bathrooms so we had a bathroom right off of our bedroom our master bedroom with a little shower in it we didn't have to share with the kids it was great. You know what? I never went back and drove back to the mobile home park and just kind of sat in front of our old trailer and thought, oh, I'd like to cut. No, I moved out. I packed up. I moved on. And that's the point Paul's making here. He says, when, when we come into Christ, we don't want to go back. We've left that, that life of sin. We packed up. We moved on. Now, we'll see in chapter 7, and we'll see again in chapter 8, that doesn't mean that we don't wrestle with sin. It doesn't mean that we're somehow perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't struggle. What it means is, and, and I draw this from chapter 5 and verse 17, where Paul says God's gift of righteousness will reign through the life of one man. What that means is righteousness now reigns in my life. It's God's righteousness, not mine, that reigns in my life. And so the question I have to ask myself, the question you have to ask yourself every day is, to whom am I giving control of my life? Who controls my life now? And Paul says when you're in Christ, you no longer have to give control of your life to sin. In fact, I would go so far as to say, if you've put your faith in Christ, then sin for you is a choice. When we come to Christ, in faith in Christ, Paul says there's this spiritual reality that is also lived out in a physical reality. The spiritual reality is that we are immersed into the person and work of Jesus. That's, that's what the word baptize actually means. It means to immerse. We're immersed and somehow we identify with his, with his death. And, and, and for Paul's Jewish audience that were, re, that were hearing Rome for the first time, that had such significance for them. You see, when a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, converted to Judaism, one of the things that would show that they were making the change from their non-Jewish life to their Jewish life would actually be that they were baptized. And that being immersed into the Jewish faith was symbolized by being immersed into the water and coming out and leaving their pagan faith. So in the New Testament, what we find 
on a continual practice is shortly after a person makes a verbal faith commitment, they're baptized. And and people say, well, do you have to be baptized to be saved? Not really, but there's kind of a both and here. It's both a spiritual immersion that's reflected by the actual immersion. And Paul is saying what, what happens is you're showing everybody that you are clearly identified with Christ. You see, baptism by immersion, which is what we believe here at Pleasant Hill Community Church, we have the baptistry behind us. It's, it's fun to have people come in and look at the church that aren't familiar with a baptistry, and they like, you have a hot tub? Not really, but it's an idea. Uh, it's not just something you tick off the box, like, oh, did that. No, it's, it's so much more important than that. Baptism by immersion should be something that is very deeply, spiritually meaningful. Because it's this event, it's this practice, it's this exercise that in a public way cements our faith step in following Jesus. It's a way of saying to everybody, there has been change in my life. You know, you don't go into the baptistry and come out the same. You go into the baptistry and you come out and your hair is wet and your clothes are wet and there's a change. And you know, I've done lots and lots of baptisms and they are emotional moments for most people because it's like, yes, yes, I I want you to know this. There's a depth of reality that takes place. And Paul says when we were baptized, when we made that commitment, we were were immersed into his death. Uh, We use the word baptism a lot. We talk about somebody going through a baptism of fire, right? You know what that means? That means they've they've been through this very, very hard experience and and now they kind of know what it's like. And now they have that experience. They've been immersed. Paul says in verses 5 through 7, he says, Now we're united with him. We're united with him not only that we physically died, but that by our baptism we revealed that we are dying to the old life, dying to the old life, being resurrected to the new life. It raised in, and he said, One day we'll be raised even in resurrection. So we've symbolized that. He uses that language of crucifixion. Our old body, our old self, our old ways, our old habits, our old inclinations, they are nailed to the cross. They were crucified with Jesus. That's when we put our faith with Him so that what once ruled us no longer rules us. Years ago, we had a friend who had come to know Christ as an adult. And one night we were talking, and he mentioned a movie that came out a whole mess of years ago. It was a comedy movie. It was called Blazing Saddles. And he goes, you guys got to watch that with me. It is the funniest movie ever. Okay, we'll watch it with you. I don't think we got 15 minutes into the movie. And he reached over and hit pause, hit stop. It was VCR days, videotape days. He, He hit stop. He goes, I'm sorry. 
I didn't realize that this wasn't the kind of movie I want to watch anymore. It's not as funny as I once thought it was. You see, he had watched the movie before Christ. Now, after Christ, he has a new filter, a new way of seeing things. You know, my mentor used to always say this, and I've said it here before. He says, you know, so many people can tell you when they prayed to receive Christ. But here's the real question. After you've come to faith in Christ, what has changed and what's changing? That's the point Paul's making here. It, it, it's like we were dead to sin. If we've been united with, with Christ in his death, we'll be reunited in his resurrection. For we know that the old self was crucified. We know that the old habits have been put aside. And you know what? Sometimes that's not automatic. It takes work. Because we're human. We want to keep going back. Now I'm reading the book of Judges right now and I read about Israel and they get, oh God, save us. And he does. And then they go back. And I know it's, it's tough. I, I've had, myself had to deal with a lot of anger and, 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 and depression. And, and it's like I don't want to go back there and I have to work through it. I have to take time to step back and say, wait God, you and I worked through this. And, and I went out and got help to do that. And, and Paul says, it's, it's, we're not ruled by sin anymore. We're not slaves to sin. We can turn to sin and we can say no. Those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are free from the control of sin. I'll say it here. I've said it once. If Paul gets to repeat himself, so do I. The person who's following Jesus doesn't have to sin. But sometimes we choose to. The person who's following Jesus doesn't have to sin, but we're going to constantly wrestle with it. But in that wrestling match through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we do have the upper hand. In Jesus, we have the power to change from the inside out. Now, Paul develops this idea. Let me pick it up in verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For if we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again, death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. God's extreme spiritual makeover gives me a new outlook. Our new outlook is expressed in this new confidence. Now, I'll get a little technical with you. Paul starts out now, if we died with Christ, sometimes when you see that, it's called a first-class conditional statement. What that means is it's stated as an if statement, but it's actually an if statement that's a recognized fact. The way I translate it is this. 
since we've been raised, since we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We believe, we have confidence, we have faith, we trust that we will also live with him. The future reality should have a present impact. Does the fact that you believe that one day you will live with Christ impact how you live today? It should. A few weeks ago, our kids in Iowa had reached out to us and said, hey, where our spring break starts, we'd like to come over for a weekend, we want to catch up with some people and all. And so we believed that they were coming. We had confidence that they were going to make their way here. So we prepared the room that they would stay in just the way they liked it. When we went grocery shopping, we got the snacks we knew they would like. We got the food we knew they would like. We looked at our schedules and we made sure we altered our schedules so that we could be available to spend time with them. Our belief in their coming impacted our actions. Does my belief that one day I will be standing face to face with the resurrected Jesus Christ, looking him in the eye, does that impact me today? Does the fact that I'm going to stand before God and give an account to my life, does that make a difference today? It should. And I know... I know we don't go around every day making every decision cognizant of that, but maybe start the morning saying, you know, I'm living today in the presence of my Savior. The thing is, everything I do, everything I say, God is aware of. Everything I think, God is aware of. And by his grace, he doesn't zap me on the spot. By his grace, he gives me opportunity to step back and say, wow, that was wrong. I need to change that. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help me to change. Paul says we know. We know Christ raised from the dead. That knowledge should enhance our, our, our confidence. We know that death could not hold Christ. We're going to celebrate that with Easter Sunday in a couple of weeks. And you know, one of the songs that we're going to sing in two weeks is one of my favorite Easter songs. It's, it's Christ Arose. And, and because probably because I'm such a visual learner, my favorite song uh, line in that song is this. Death cannot keep his prey. Jesus, my Savior, he tore the bars away. Jesus, my Lord, up from the grave he arose. And I just have that symbol of Superman tearing the bars open and walking out, you know. Just that amazing, he tore the bars of death away. You know, the day my mom died, the day my dad died, I never saw them again. But I will. Because he tore the bars away. His death, Paul says, was once for all. Words that you'll see echoed in the book of Hebrews. Once for all. He didn't have to die over and over and over again. He died once for all. He died once for you and you and you and you and me. He died once for all. And that reality should give me a new outlook. 
And Paul says, here's the new outlook. In the same way, in the same confidence, count yourselves dead to sin. Sin doesn't control me. Count yourselves alive to God. And don't let sin reign in you so that you obey it. What reigns in you now is God's grace and God's righteousness. Choose to not offer yourself to that which you know is the old self. One of the things that we did in our family to help me with my anger was there was just a little phrase that would get used. I think it started with our son when he was younger. And he would look at me and go, Dad, don't get intense. You're sounding intense. One year, as the new year came about, my prayer was, God, I want to minimize in my life the times when my son or my wife or my daughter say, Dad, you're getting intense. Now, I know I still wrestle with it, but by God's grace, I begin to hear it less and less and less. Don't let sin reign in you so you obey it. Choose not to offer yourself, Paul says, to the old self, the old habits, the old way of life. How? How? You have to, we have to daily, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to t- deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me daily. How do I do that? Well, I think it's a daily thing to say, God, here I am. I know I'm going to stumble today. I know I'm going to fall. I know I'm weak. Help me to see it and to deal with it. And as I thought about these words, Paul says, don't offer any part of yourself as an, sin to, as an instrument to wickedness. But then he goes on, he says, you want to be an instrument of righteousness. And when I read that, as I was thinking through that the other day, I thought, that just reminded me of that very famous prayer by St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood, as to understand, to be loved, as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. What a powerful prayer. What a powerful reminder. What a powerful reminder of the extreme changes that God can do when we allow him. Notice in each of those elements of this prayer, there's replacement. Did you notice that? Injury replaced with pardon. Doubt replaced with faith. You see, our life with Jesus is not a passive existence. 
I think sometimes we, we kind of promote that. Well, if you pray this prayer, you get to go to heaven. Well, no, if you pray this prayer, you get to start a journey of change and growth. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament are you, do you find that, when, that someone was told, well, come into faith with Christ and you get to go to heaven. No, it was, it's, now you get to follow Christ. Heaven is, is a, a byproduct way out here, if even heaven is out there. And that's a long story. I, I kind of think the new heaven and the new earth is a recreated earth where we get to enjoy all of the amazing benefits of God's creation without the marring of sin. I just, I, that's, I, I, sorry, I can't go on on that, but just someday we'll talk about that. It's not a passive existence. We're active. We cooperate with Christ to change from the inside out. It's an active offering myself daily. We'll see that when we get to Romans 12. Offer yourselves as living sacrifices. And when I do that, when daily I start my day realizing I am here not for me, but to serve Christ, I experience the joy and the freedom of being a person under God's grace. You see, you and I have the power to change by the grace of God. You and I have the ability through the grace of God to be more for God than we ever thought possible. But notice that sin always binds us. Notice this, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master. Sin enslaves. Sin controls. Sin destroys. It always binds us. It always has long-lasting negative consequences. I would urge you today, ask God to open your eyes to the one thing He wants to change in you. What's the one thing that God wants to change in you today? I believe the Holy Spirit is very good at pointing that out, so I'm not going to give you a list, because when I give you a list, you listen to the list and go, (laughs) what's the one thing? When I submitted my application years ago to uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, to begin a doctoral program. I had to send my transcripts in. And uh, I got a letter back. And it was an acceptance letter. And it said this. And this is the sin I have to deal with. It's my pride. Because it said, we've accepted you to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School with no deficiencies. Now, what they meant was I didn't have academic deficiencies. My transcripts, everything was up to date. But I have reminded my children often. Trinity Evangelical Divinity School said, your father has no deficiencies. I have many deficiencies. There are many things. What's the one thing for you? And you know, when you, when you discover that one thing, you don't have to go it alone. You don't have to go alone. Ask God for that one thing and then say, okay, God, who are the people in my faith community who will gently walk alongside me 
and lovingly yet firmly hold me accountable to make the changes that you have. You see, we need each other because we become blind to our own, fault, to our own faults. You see, I think I have no deficiencies. And I remind my family of that, and they remind me of my deficiencies because you get blind to your own faults. I know I've shared this lesson, this one before too, but quite a few years ago, Charlene and the kids decided to buy me a set of golf lessons. And uh, so I went out to St. Andrews and got together with the guy that was going to teach me uh, some golf lessons. And so we went out to the driving range, and he said, Scott, take a few swings and hit a few balls. And I hit four or five balls, and his question to me was, do you always swing that way? Which is kind of a silly question because you just saw it. And then he said this. You have been swinging a golf club incorrectly for so long, it feels right. And we're going to change that. Some of us have been excusing ourselves for so long that our sin feels right and comfortable. And Paul says sin should no longer be your master. And what Christ does is he helps me not be comfortable with it. You know, sometimes when I'm playing that little game of golf, I drift into those bad habits. But I have those lessons in the back of my mind, and I know the things I need to do and adjust to get back into a right habit. Some of us have been locked into bad, dare I say, sinful habits for so long they just feel right and we don't have a baseline anymore. Some of us have begun to believe the lie that we can't change. We can't change. Some of us even go so far as saying, I'm just too old to change. The man that counseled me at Meyer Clinics when I went through a, another bout of anger and depression was actually a classmate of mine in Winona Lake. He was, at the time that we were classmates, I was in my 20s. He was about pushing 60. He had decided to change and become a counselor. He had gone through a lot. And so when I met him, he was pushing 80 at the time. He had more energy than I can ever imagine. I kind of want to be him when I grow up. He had changed. He realized he was not too old to look at himself and change. And, and the counseling program we went through said, you'll never counsel anybody deeply until you look at yourself deeply and let God change you. Some of us are using those excuses. Nothing can be further from the truth Real change, real extreme makeover is possible. You and I have died to sin if we put Christ in our lives. We've died to the old habits, and we need to develop new habits. And we can experience God's extreme spiritual makeover as we humble ourselves, seek God daily, and pray simply, Lord, change me. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I really feel it in my own heart this morning. The sword of God's word that pierces down to the depth of who we are. But you do that, Lord, because you, you love us. You, you allow it to pierce us because we need it. And I ask this morning, Lord,
I ask this morning that you would use the word to pierce our hearts and our souls to show us where we need to change. And then, Lord, help us to do the work. Give us the spiritual vitality to do the work to make those changes. And we will give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name.